You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys this morning. Let's read Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 9. It says this, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet. It's a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening and was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Let's, let's pray before I begin to preach. Father, we just come before you this morning after the reading of this text and the reading of your word, and after gathering together in worship to music, after observing communion and remembering the work of your son on the cross, the blood that was shed and the body that was broken on our behalf that, so that we could, as the popular hymn says, so that our chains could be broken and so that we could be set free. We just thank you for those things. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity as Americans to just come and sit freely together, to worship together, to fellowship together, to hear the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you would just take this text this morning, that you would apply it to our hearts and our lives today. Lord God, I just pray, I pray that you would help us to understand what it means to be sent by Jesus as missionaries, the message of the gospel, to see your church planted in our midst. Help us, Lord Jesus, to see the church planted as the confirmation of the gospel to work among us. Help us to wrestle with what it means to go in your power and your authority, learning to trust in your provision as we seek to preach the message of the gospel, which brings healing to our souls and to others around us. And help us, Lord God, to be a people who, as we are being sent by you, help us to be a people that, that labor to see other people brought to a saving and changing faith in the message of the cross. Lord God, help us to remember the center passage of the Gospel of Luke, which says, where you're speaking, Jesus, and you say, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Help us to be those people today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. So the other day, I called my children into the living room, and, and I began to explain that I had this really important and, 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 and nearly impossible mission for them to accomplish, and it was super important that they listen 
pay attention very closely and that they follow my instructions to the T. And I gave them tasks that I, I believed would stretch their abilities and that would test their trust and their abilities to work together. I gave them a timeline. I gave them individual instructions for each of them. I gave them specific goals to accomplish as well. I also assured them that I would check on their progress for confirmation that the mission that I gave them was in fact being accomplished. See, I, I know my kids, and honestly, uh, I understand a few things about human nature all too well. Now, it's too easy for us to become distracted, become bored, or sometimes just flat out fall into like self-absorbed laziness and kind of just tune the whole world out. So this is the reason that the confirmation of the progress of what I was asking my kids to do was so important that day. And it's really no different for us in the church. It is important for the work of the gospel to be confirmed among us. And Philip Rikens says this. He says that whenever and wherever the church gets established, the church itself becomes the confirmation of the gospel. When I read this, I begin to wonder... I begin to wonder, I begin to ask questions about us as a church and about us as individuals. I, mean, I begin to ask questions like, is there any confirmation of the gospel at work in us? Like, this is a question that, that I ask of my family. I ask of myself. I ask of our family members. I ask about our church. I ask about other church expressions in our community. I ask about the church across America, the church across the world, I ask this question, is the gospel being confirmed among us? In other words, is the gospel being confirmed among us by the presence of God's power and authority? Is the gospel being confirmed among us by our listening to and following Jesus' practical instructions for holiness and mission? Is the gospel being confirmed among us through our growing ability to trust God in the midst of what he calls us to do? Is the, is the gospel being confirmed among us by our willingness to go anywhere and everywhere for the sake of being able to preach the gospel in word and in deed to anyone? Or is there places we would not go because it's too uncomfortable? Is the gospel being confirmed among us through the evidence of people actually being called to Jesus for salvation? In other words, are people actually being saved in our midst? The problem for us in American culture is this. We are infected. We are infected with a sickness called consumerism. We sometimes and actually oftentimes allow our consumeristic tendencies to dictate how we do church. Now, don't check out in these moments thinking, oh, it's not me. I'm not consumeristic. And I just, I pray and I ask that the Holy Spirit would convict us in these moments as I walk through some of the fruit and the evidence of consumerism taking root in our hearts. And we choose church oftentimes based upon its coolness rather than the authoritative presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And we choose church sometimes based upon its programs, the programs that it offers, rather than looking for sound biblical instruction that promotes holiness and mission 
We sometimes choose church based upon its ability to serve our felt needs rather than its willingness to go to the tough spaces and places, not only of our culture, but the tough places of our own individual hearts. Because to go there would make us really uncomfortable. We choose church sometimes because we are just curious about what's happening there instead of being in awe of the saving work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Consumerism really is a problem for us, but I believe this. I believe that the remedy to the problem of consumerism is gospel mission. The remedy to the problem of consumerism for each of us is gospel mission, which is why this text that we're reading and we're studying today is so vitally important for us to hear. Because in this text, we learn this. We learn that Jesus sends people on mission. Listen, when Jesus saves you, he doesn't save you so that you can get more comfortable. That's a prosperity gospel, which is a heresy and would have gotten you burned at the stake years ago. When Jesus saves you, he doesn't save you to make you more comfortable, to, to feed more of your consumeristic tendencies. When Jesus saves you, no, he, he saves you to make you uncomfortable in the change process in you as well as through you. It's not just God's work in me. If that were true, it would be merely a selfish religion that we've joined. But because this is not about religion, it's about a relationship whereby God is ransoming and redeeming humanity back to himself. It's not about you and I. It's actually two-sided. It's both and. It's about his work in you, saving you and changing you. And then it's about his work through you, as he works through you as his mouthpiece on mission. <clears throat> and so the remedy of the problem of consumerism is gospel mission, which is why this text is so important. Notice that verse 2 says that Jesus sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God to heal. Can you imagine it? I mean, just imagine with me for a minute. Put yourself into the story. The disciples have been following Jesus into some very intense places of ministry over the last couple of chapters. In chapter 8, after teaching about the soil of our hearts and the seeds of the gospel, Jesus jumps into a boat with his disciples and they head out to the other side of the lake. And on the way, they encounter this massive storm. And Jesus is sleeping in the bow of the boat and, and his disciples are kind of freaking out a little bit. And after Jesus shuts down the storm, they land on the other side and they're immediately accosted by a demon-possessed man who has like a legion of demons inside of him, which, by the way, is a lot of demons. And as they're accosted by this demon-possessed man, Jesus heals him by sending the demons into a local herd of pigs, which does not make him very popular with the locals because bacon must have been their way of keeping the economy afloat. So they jump back in the boat, and they start heading around to the other side of the lake again. And when they get to the other side of the lake, man, there's tons of people waiting for him. 
And among them is this man named Jairus whose daughter has been sick for 12 years. She's on her deathbed. And then there's this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, both of them needing a touch from Jesus to heal them and to save them from what is killing them. And Jesus ministers to them. I mean, dang, like what, what, a, what a crazy season of ministry, right? I mean, that's a pretty big day or a pretty big week, depending upon how you do the timeline. I mean, think about how easy it would have been to have just kind of kick back and taken a quick break. How easy it could have been to just tap out and say, man, we've done a lot already. The reality is that as Spurgeon says, Jesus is the master commander of mission. And even though we see our master commander in the previous verses, healing people, driving out demons, confronting scary storms, and literally saving people's lives, we come to this section of text today where Luke is building out this big idea that when Jesus plants his church, the church itself becomes the confirmation of the gospel at work in a people. And the gospel is confirmed in the church when we see and observe Jesus sending people on mission, which crucifies consumerism. Hear this again. Gospel mission crucifies the sickness of consumerism. In other words, the gospel will be confirmed through a church of people who are being sent by Jesus because Jesus sends people. And when Jesus sends people, he sends them on mission in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit who are learning to trust in God for everything and are willing to preach the gospel everywhere and anywhere they go for the sake of drawing people to Jesus. So in regards to verses 1 and 2, Philip Ryken has this to say. He says, the, the power is the ability to do something, and authority is the right to do it. And the apostles needed both. I would add that, that we are no different than the apostles. And in fact, if the apostles physically walked and talked and observed and learned from Jesus, and if they needed power and authority as well, and how much more do we need the power and ability or the authority and the right to do what God calls us to do? But I want you to think about this for a minute just so that we can unpack this idea of power and authority so I don't lose you in all the theoretical language. I want you to think about this as just kind of a ground-level il illustration. In regards to power and authority or ability and the right. I want you to think about this. Imagine having the power, or imagine having the ability or power to cure cancer. You got the cure for cancer. You have the ability to do this. But you don't have the authority or the right to walk into the room and administer the remedy. You see what I'm saying? Maybe you have the ability, the power, but not having the authority would be detrimental. Or imagine it the other way. What if you had the authority or the right to get into the room with someone who has cancer, but you don't have the ability to do it? Now, this happens all the time. We understand that one. This is the great thing about Jesus as we look at this text. He doesn't just give us either A, the ability, or 
the right. He gives us both the ability and the right to step in to those dark places of our community and our culture when he sends us on mission. What does this look like, though? Well, look at verses 1 and 2. Luke says this, says, And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So, so Jesus gives us the power and the authority or the ability and the right in the spiritual and the physical realm to proclaim the kingdom and offer healing. Listen, <clears throat> we've been given Christ's power and Christ's authority to proclaim the kingdom of God, which brings spiritual and physical healing to people's lives. In Christ, we've been given the ability and the right to enter into the spaces of our culture with the message of the gospel for the purpose of curing the disease and the effects of sin, which destroys and devastates not just individual lives, not just families, not just in communities, but entire cultures. Listen, as Jesus continues to plant his church in our community, and as he continues to plant the gospel deep in the soil of our hearts and deep in the soil of people's hearts in our community, the church will need to be full of people whom Jesus has sent in his power and his authority. Because here's the deal. If, if, if we show up without that, then we inevitably show up in our own power. I mean, if you show up in your own power to do gospel mission, whether that be as a parent with your family, as a spouse with your spouse, or as a friend with a friend, or, or, in, or, or, or even just with your co-worker, or, or in and through the ministry of the local church, regardless of where you find your place or your avenue of gospel mission, if you show up in your own power, you will fail because you are powerless to overcome the demonic oppression that is present in our communities. It can be devastating because when you are involved in gospel mission and when you are sent by Jesus to a certain specific people group, you'll be faced with this fact. It is a fact that there is a historical, spiritual presence that affects the physical needs and issues in our mission fields today. I know sometimes for some of us, when we think mission, when we think mission field, we oftentimes think China or Japan. But let me just tell you that according to most statistics, America is the third largest unreached people group in the world. Third largest unreached people group. We spent a lot of years sending missionaries over to other countries. <clears throat> While our mainline denominations and many of our churches have left the gospel message and made it about something that it was never meant to be, therefore meaning that in our culture, in our day and age in America, we are left with a buildings full of consumers who come looking for their slick programs and their favorite preachers rather than because the gospel is on display.
Here's the deal. It, it might be the presence of demonic oppression made visible through broken relationships or broken community or financial burdens or a lack of disciplined people. But either way, if you try to bring your own version of your own kingdom to bear on the strongholds of demonic oppression, you will fail. And in a sense, there, there has been a different kingdom ruling the areas that Jesus sends people to for gospel mission. And that different kingdom is spiritual and demonic in nature. And it has ruled in some very specific areas of sinful stronghold for a long time. And when you step on that scene, you will need the very authority and the very power of the kingdom of heaven to establish the roots of the gospel deeply within the soil of the hearts of the people who will hopefully, prayerfully, joyously become the physical representation of heaven on earth as a saved and changed and transformed people who are living for the glory of God in every aspect of their lives. When Jesus sends people on mission, he's sending people into enemy-occupied territory. And this is why Jesus sends people in his own power and authority, both in the spiritual and physical realms the purpose of proclaiming the kingdom of God while extending healing to broken cultures and communities of people. So I was watching this series on TV last night called um, Making of the Mob. <clears throat> Making of the Mob New York. <clears throat> you guys know that some of my favorite shows are old mob stories. And so I'm watching this. And I, was, I was a little bit in awe of, of the power and the authority of some of these mob bosses. In fact, the guy that was narrating it, Ray Liotta, who played in Goodfellas, and if you've never seen Goodfellas, then you're really missing out, okay? But the guy that was, that was narrating, Ray Liotta, as he's narrating, he made this statement that just stood out to me. He said that the power and the authority of mob bosses in New York didn't just stretch to the city of New York. It didn't just stretch across America. It stretched all the way back to places like Italy and Sicily, literally across continents. Can you imagine being a person, just a mere person, having that kind of power and authority that when you say it will be done, that it gets done? Now just blow that up. Because Jesus' power and authority far surpasses all of the power and authority that any human being could ever have because it was by the name of Jesus that continents leapt into being, that stars began shining, that people began breathing, that sinful people who lived as enemies became friends and children of God. It was by that power and authority that these things happened. Like no mob bosses got anything on Jesus. This is the power and the authority that the local church is sent with. This should be simultaneously joyful and exciting. Like there should be nobody sleeping in here because the idea that God himself gives you and I the power and authority to go and to proclaim the gospel message into the most darkest and sinful of places, not only in our culture as we always think it's external, but just internally, like you and me back and forth, I'm proclaiming the gospel to you. It's by God's power and authority that I get to do that this morning. And it's by God's power and authority that you have the right and the ability to do that in your friends' lives. 
And when you don't go there, what you're doing is you're taking God's power and authority, which is available to you, and you're sticking it in a closet, and you're saying, I don't want anything to do with that right now because I'm afraid that my friend might leave me. So that's, that, that's a fear of man. That's a fear of man. God has given you his power and his authority to proclaim the message of the kingdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ who was murdered on a cross so that people like you and I could say, I once was this person and now I'm this person. I once was blind and now I've been set free. I once had chains on, but now I've been set free. Like if you've been set free, then, then, then the only thing you can be living for underneath living for the glory of God alone would be living so that others could hear the same message that you've heard. And the, and the passion that would be inside of you about this would drive you. It drove Jesus. Remember, we're in the gospel of Luke and the center of the gospel of Luke is this message. Luke 19 verse 10 as he sits down. The tax collector, great mob boss in that time. And he sits with them and he says, hey, the mission that I came for is to seek and to save that which was lost. His power and authority we are sent. This is just a precursor and a prelude to what's about to come later because as you see, and as we wrap up the study in the Gospels, if you go to each Gospel, towards the end of the Gospel, there is a, something called the Great Commission Whereby Jesus comes to his disciples one last time after being resurrected, before taking off to heaven. And he says, all power and authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore. And what do you say when you hear, therefore? What's it there for? So you look before all power and authority and heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore Go, making disciples of all nations and teaching them to observe. Interesting thing. Like when people push back on the preaching and the teaching of the gospel by leaders of the church, what is shown and what is evidenced is the rebellion that is still in their hearts and the places and the dark spaces of their hearts that still need to be set free by the gospel. It reveals that there are still chains holding them in shackles. God has given us power and authority to teach the word of God boldly, not to teach man's interpretation or thoughts on it, but to preach and to teach the word of God boldly that people might be made into disciples, which means to look, to think, to act, to talk, and to walk like Jesus. And then you have the whole book of Acts. The whole book of Acts is just the, the lengthy story of what began right here in this text, continuing. And then you have... Acts ends at Acts 28, and then you have Acts 29, which is the group we're part of, which I think is pretty awesome. Continuing to be sent into the culture to plant the gospel, which would spring up into churches of people that are being transformed and changed daily, who are seeing the salvation worked out in their hearts and lives. Listen, you don't come to Jesus and be the same. You don't come to Jesus for what you get out of it, though that might be part of it. But if that's all of it, then you, you are living in consumerism and mission murders that. <clears throat> now regarding the practical instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples in like verses 3 and 5. <clears throat> 
Reichen again says this, says that rather than relying on their own resources, the apostles had to entrust themselves entirely to God's providential care. And in this way, they would learn to trust God for everything, not just some things, but trust him for everything. I just let that sink in for a minute. When I say trust God for everything, in other words, Jesus sends people on mission who are learning to trust God because here's the deal. Learning to trust God is really the foundational truth of the gospel message. It's the foundational truth of every, and let me say it again, every practical instruction you could receive in the scriptures. Tell a young man, stop sleeping with that girl. And when he pushes back on you, what he's really pushing back on is not you. He's pushing back on the concept of trusting God in the first place for his acceptance. Struggle with pornography. The reality is that our struggle with pornography and lust is really an issue with trusting God in the first place because I'm struggling to trust him to gain acceptance. Trusting God is the foundational step of of, of trusting in the gospel each and every day. Trusting God isn't about arrival. It's about progress. Sure, one day, you and I, we we trust God for salvation. But then the next day, we got to trust him for provision, right? And if we aren't learning to trust God more and more every day on a daily basis, then what's happening is we are merely becoming self-sufficient or self-sustaining. And when it comes specifically to Jesus sending us on mission, We must be people who are continually learning to trust God. But what does that look like, right? What does it mean to trust God? Because people, as people, we are so good to giving lip service, right? Right? We learn the lingo. Oh, yeah, brother, I was praying for you today. Religious lingo. Oh, brother, I've been in the scriptures every night. Well, except for that one night. Oh, brother, I, I just, or sister, I just, man, I, I've been thinking about you a lot, or I've been journaling a lot lately. And we, we get this religious rhetoric in our walk, and we think that that buys us. We actually substitute trusting in Jesus for trusting in our rhetoric. So what does it really look like to trust in God? Just according to what Luke is writing here, look at verses 3 through 5. <coughs> Jesus speaking, he says, and he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics, and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So learning, learning to trust God is this, learning to trust God means trusting him as we go. Not just a one-time thing, it's an all-time thing. It's a day-by-day thing. Trusting him as we go for our physical needs and our spiritual outcomes. And listen, Jesus is saying his disciples out on their first mission without him being there physically. And he's saying, hey guys, you know what? As you go, take only the bare essentials and stay in the first place that welcomes you. Instead of looking for better amenities elsewhere, And don't forget 
that the spiritual outcomes of your mission will be this. It will be that some people will receive you and some people will reject you. And rejoice in those who receive. Man, rejoice in them. Find joy in the fact that there will be some who will receive the message of the gospel and they will, they will love Jesus. But just trust and know there will be some who will reject. And you ain't got to get all butthurt about it at all. You don't have to spend time trying to chase them down. Just let them go and just shake the dust off your feet as a sign against them for their rejection. Not of you, but of Jesus himself. And just let go of those who reject and move on. Trusting God means trusting him as we go for our physical needs and for the spiritual outcomes of the gospel at work in community. Man, can you imagine, just imagine with me for a minute, the anxiety and the angst that they must have felt deep down inside as Jesus was saying this to them. I imagine that some of you may experience a touch of anxiety at times too as we talk about Trusting God and following him on mission. I mean, it's one thing to trust God for salvation or forgiveness, which is difficult enough, but to trust God as we take seriously his mandate for, for, for calling people through the message of the gospel, for pursuing others for the sake of the gospel, transforming a city or a community or an entirely, it's, that's an entirely different level of trust. As you start trusting God, as he calls you on mission, that trust is entirely different than that first step of trust in salvation or even in growing in holiness. Now think about it this way. Think about it this way. We struggle to make ends meet financially. Our homes need repaired. Our cars are becoming outdated. Our children need education. We need to be able to fund a little vacation here or there. Let's top it all off. As we follow Jesus, he begins to call us to place these places where our anxiety is actually used to help us to trust in him more. As he sends us in gospel mission to set others free. That anxiety actually then serves to sharpen the depths of the, our trust in God. Which I think is the reason that God asks us to trust him entirely with everything, including the work that he is doing in our own hearts as well as the work he's doing in the hearts and the lives of those that we minister to and reach out to. And for you, this, this might mean trusting God as you pursue gospel conversations. And just think for a minute about gospel conversations. We all have gospel conversations. They may not be the gospel in the conversation. We talked about false gospels last week. Remember that? And you're out of shape, so you're in hell, so... Go to the gym. You can be set free. We all have these conversations every day. Well, what if we were really intentional about our gospel conversations and we found those false gospels in our conversations? Man, it's been a really long day of work. I'm in hell. I'm telling you. It sucks. Like 10 people got left, got, got let go at work today, and it's just sucked. I, I really need to go home and just veg out in front of the TV so that I can just be safe from my living hell. Like if we could just kind of call that out in, in ourselves even, what if it just started here, right here in the house of God with other brothers and sisters? We just started saying, man, that's a false gospel. It really is. I, I, all I need is Jesus in this. What if we started challenging one another? No, you know what? All you need is Jesus in that. As you think about trusting God, as you pursue gospel conversations with a friend or a coworker, or maybe it's a relative or it's a spouse or it's a neighbor, but either way, as Jesus sends you and I, we must continually grow in our ability to trust him in the face of seemingly impossible 
hardship, failure, and hopelessness. <coughs> we must trust God when we are received and when we are rejected. We must trust him to help us discern when to rejoice over authentic gospel fruit and when to shake the dust off of our feet that is really just dressed up worldly fruit. You and I must, you and I must trust him for our physical provision and our spiritual outcomes as he sends us on mission. And regarding verse 6, J.C. Ryle says this. He says, No church has ever done much for the advancement of true religion in which the pulpit has been neglected. In other words, Jesus sends people on mission who are willing to preach. Now, I know, I know that some of you are like right now kind of pushing back on me in your minds. Like right now as you think, preach? What? Hello? Whoa, stop the bus. We're not going there. I know some of you are there. Like you might be thinking, I'm not called to preach. I can't preach. Or, or maybe you're thinking, man, there's no way I will ever be willing to get up in front of people and preach in front of them. Maybe you're thinking, maybe you're thinking uh, preaching is for the pastor, not for me. Or what do you, no way. I don't get paid enough for that. Well, neither do I, just so you know. So uh, if you're thinking these things in your head, <laughs> if you're thinking these things, maybe you're thinking, hey, I don't have enough training to preach. Just bear with me. I also know that there's some of you in the room. There's some of you in the room that, that, that when you hear me talk about preaching the gospel, right now you feel like deep within your heart, like you feel it just pounding in your chest. Your, your hands may be getting sweaty. Your, your ears may be getting hot. Your mind is getting flooded with all sorts of ideas and thoughts and plans and strategies and books and quotes, statements and outlines of people groups. And, you know, if you just wait a minute, just hold on, chill, slow down. I can get your heads out of the cloud for a minute to just affirm the couple of things. I just want to affirm that while some of you may sense the extraordinary call to preaching, and some of you may get queasy at the thought of preaching, it is still very important that the, the church that Jesus plants is committed to the preaching of the gospel, which means that every single person that is a Christian and is part of the church family actually takes preaching Seriously, what does this look like though? Look at verse six and look what Luke says. He says, and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So, so get this in your head. If we're asking the question, what does it look like for Christians to preach the gospel? Being willing to preach means this, preaching the healing gospel everywhere and anywhere you go. I would tack on to the end of that through word and deed. And if you can't talk, then it's through your life. This is lifestyle evangelism, lifestyle gospel. What do people see in your lives when you are outside of this gathering space and the Christian face is taken off? When you're at work and you're struggling with something. Or when you're with your family and you're wrestling through things. What does your life preach to others? Listen, there is power in the message of the gospel. And many of you have experienced that moment when you first heard the gospel. You heard that, that there is a God who created you to be with him and to be like him. And to be in a right relationship with him. 
And you've heard that, that something happened that, that, that separated you from him, that, that put him here and put you here. You've heard that part of the message and you understand conceptually at least that that thing that separates you is something called sin. And that sin makes you an enemy of God's. And you are living hopelessly and you are recklessly careening down the track, down the road. And you're headed towards a certain collision with an eternal hell living separated from God and all that is good forever. So you've heard that part of the message too. Many of you have heard this. Many of you hearing this message today are actually at this crossroads right now. You've heard this. Maybe all your lives you've heard this. And maybe this is the place you're at. You understand that, but you don't get the rest. You don't get the good news side of the gospel. the awesome thing about this text. Because in this text, Jesus' disciples actually leave his side. They don't stay there, staring up into heaven, singing kumbaya, like, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's okay because I'm hanging out with my crowd of Christian people, and I just love them. They're so warm, and they're so fuzzy. No, that's not what happened. The disciples actually left Jesus' side physically, and they went They left. They were sent people. Some of them became apostles later. The actual Greek word for apostles is apostolos, which means to be sent. I mean, when you do study deep in the scriptures like this, and you, you find how deeply God has rooted these gospel themes you, 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 you're left with no other place to be than to just trust in him and, and love him and just find joy in the fact that he has laced these things all the way through the message. As the disciples leave and are sent, they go as Jesus commanded him. And they do, and they preach the gospel which brings healing to our parched and dry and weary and sin-laden sick souls. See, this is the good news. Though we were weak, though we were weary, though we were sick with sin, though we were but enemies of God, Jesus stepped in by the grace of our Father in heaven because of his great love for those whom he had created in his image. He stepped in because of God. He stepped in. And Jesus went to the cross and he died brutally and he was raised on the third day, beating death. Beating the same death that is coming for each of you and I. And for some of us have found us. We are in chains to those sins and the message is this. That when Jesus sets you free through the gospel, you can be healed of the sin and the sickness which is murdering you. Jesus is willing to go to the tough places. He was willing to go to the tough places and the, and the difficult spaces to, to reach out to the people who had been overlooked maybe or who had just been far from him for the purpose of preaching the healing gospel to them. And now in our text, he's sending his disciples to do the same. <coughs> it really is, as I said earlier, a foretaste of what's about to come in the book of Acts and what is being lived out today by many throughout the world. As Jesus continues to send his ordinary and unschooled disciples in the power and the authority of the Spirit of God to preach the gospel with their lives. 
But Jesus sends people on mission who are willing to preach the healing gospel everywhere. Everywhere they go for the sake of seeing lives completely and radically changed within community. Radical change and radical healing like daddies re-engaging their families after being passive for so long. Like people turning to Jesus instead of drugs. Like people coming and following Jesus and seeing their marriages being healed. Like sexual addictions being turned from, from that sexual desire and being turned into a desire for the presence of Christ and the work of the gospel in our hearts. Like seeing isolated people learning to live in true biblical gospel community where there is no faking there is no posing. These are the outcomes of Jesus sending his people on a mission to preach the healing gospel everywhere. Regarding verses 7 through 9, as we begin to wrap this up and land this plane, Philip Ryken says that we should be touching people's lives in a way that leaves them deeply impressed, not with us, but with our Savior. In other words, Jesus sends people on mission to draw people to himself. And listen, in, in this day and age of celebrity preachers, the cool factor, the next big thing infection, our own self-centered me, 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 all of our sinful tendencies, we are prone to make everything all about us and getting What's ours or what we think we deserve instead of asking the Spirit of God to rid us of ourselves and make everything about Jesus so that people are actually drawn to Jesus through the power of the message of the gospel at work and on display. Listen, if, if the gospel is actually at work in us, it will be on display like a big screen TV. That's what the church was meant to be for our culture. And we should be screaming the message louder than anybody else because we've been given the power and authority of Jesus himself. We should be the biggest flat screen TV out there. There should be no other gospel message that should win people over other than us. What I think God wants us to learn here is that Jesus sends people on mission to draw people to himself. It's about Jesus, not about you and me or our brand of church or our slick programs. Look at verses 7 and 9. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard, underline that, heard. Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? Who is this about whom I hear such things? Underline that if you got a pen. Star it, smiley face it, highlight it, circle it, draw whatever you can around it so that you don't forget that even Herod asked that question. And who is this? By whom I hear such things. Who do you think he was hearing about? Peter? No. Paul? No, because Paul didn't exist in the text yet, so to speak. Who do you think he was at? He was asking about Jesus. And he sought to see him. Circle that, too. He sought to see him. He didn't seek to see his brand of church. Didn't seek to come check out that program versus that program. Herod sought to see Jesus. People are drawn to Jesus when they hear what he is doing and when they ask about him and when they seek to see him. 
Notice that Herod wasn't super interested in meeting the disciples, right? He was interested in Jesus because there was a buzz about what Jesus was doing. And we know, that, we know this, and in, in reality, in the reality of gospel mission, that, that some people, some people like Herod, will only be intrigued or interested because of the buzz. Some people will be that way. And they may, they may never come to a saving faith in Christ. I mean, look, we're observing this man named Herod. We're observing the actions of the king of the Jews. Get this. Herod was the pastor of the church. Does that bring it home for you? Herod was the pastor of the church, basically. I mean, he was the big king pastor. All the other pastors served under him. He's the king of the Jews. His religious rhetoric was impeccable. He could preach any passage you asked about from memory. But know this. Know that Herod never came to a saving faith in Christ. Never came to a saving faith in Christ. In fact, in fact, later, he was eaten by worms. Eaten by worms because of his wickedness. But the reality is that the ingredients are still the same for us in regards to seeing people drawn to Jesus because God is sovereign over the baking process and the results of saving and changing people. In other words, when we lean into being sent as gospel missionaries who are passionate about our mission field, we won't make it about our brand of church. We won't make it about our meeting spaces. It won't all be about our cool celebrity leaders or our amazing music teams or our awesome ministry programs. No. When the gospel is actually being confirmed at work among the church that is being planted, when we go as people who are sent by Jesus, we will make Jesus famous and people will hear about Jesus and they will ask questions about Jesus and they will seek to see Jesus. My friends, this is the recipe for pursuing gospel mission where people are drawn to Jesus. Let me invite our music team forward again as we conclude our time together in the text. And as we conclude, I want you to remember the quote and the questions that I opened with. And I want you to hear them afresh. Hear them freshly after having the text preached over us. Hear this. Whenever and wherever the church gets established, the church itself becomes the confirmation of the gospel. Listen, we're not talking about church buildings this morning. We're talking about the church which is full of people that say they are following Jesus and are a part of it. As the church gets planted, it becomes the confirmation of the gospel, either at work or not at work. So listen to these questions again. Is the gospel being confirmed in you today? Is it being confirmed in you today? By the presence of God's power and authority at work. Is the gospel being confirmed in you today? By your listening to and following God's practical instructions for holiness and mission. Are you hearing him call you to him today? Are you being drawn to Jesus today? Are you being compelled 
by some inward desire where the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he's drawing you to him today so that you might be healed. So that a new kingdom and a new ruler can rule your life. Listen, some of you that are here, I know. I know. You have been living your life for a long time, trying to rule your own life, and it's continued to lead you into more devastation and more darkness and more sickness and more hurt and more pain and more isolation. It's because you've been the ruler of your life. You have been the functional God of your own life, and you have refused to surrender and submit to him because maybe you see him as a real angry dad, or maybe you see him as a real passive father who was never there. Let me just tell you, that's not the picture of daddy that I get when I see the scriptures and when I hear the gospel picture of daddy and our father in heaven is one who loved you so dearly and so deeply that he came to save you he came to save you from yourself and he gave his son so that by trusting him your life can be completely changed today it's the evidence of the gospel at work in you if that gospel is not in work in you you are not a christian you are not a christian if the evidence at work in you is more sin and more destruction and more devastation, then you need to hear this message today. That Jesus sends people in the power and the authority of God himself who are learning to trust him so that we could preach the gospel message so that you could be drawn to Jesus for salvation. That's the good news. That's the good news. And by trusting in him today, by believing in Him, by asking Him to forgive you of your sins, to wash you clean. The scriptures actually say he will, he will wash you white as snow. He will give you brand new clothes to wear and a brand new life to live and a brand new family to do it with. Jesus sends people on gospel mission for the sake of drawing people to Him. Let me close in prayer. Father, we thank You for this text today. We thank you, Jesus, that you send people on mission, the message of the gospel, to see people saved. God, I pray that as we close our time today, Lord, that if, if there was anybody in the room who, <laughs> for the first time maybe, heard this message and maybe they were, they were cut to the heart and maybe today is that day when they truly, authentically begin to follow you. And that, and, that, and that from this point forward, God, I pray that not just for them who would come to you for the first time today, authentically, but, but for all of us, God, who are coming to you, God, I pray that we would come to you authentically, hating the things that are not of you and loving the things that are of you so that as we go, trusting in you, leaning into you, following hard after you, on mission, as you send us, Lord, that as we hate the things that bind us and shackle us and learn to love the one who has set us free, I pray that you would use us as a church family of sent people so that this church would be a confirmation of the gospel at work in Hastings, Nebraska. Thank you, Jesus, for this message. And thank you, Jesus, for sending people on gospel mission, which crucifies the sickness of consumerism. 
We bless you today, Jesus. Amen. Listen, as we, as we close in worship, there'll be two of us near the front, two or three of us. They just pray with you if you have needs or if you just want to discuss some of the things you heard. Maybe, like, what did that mean or what does that mean? We'll be here for you in the front. Um, we'll be eating afterwards. Thanks for letting me preach this morning. I love you guys a lot. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.